Hi, welcome to the Quipster Film Review Podcast. My name is Vince Leo. I am the film critic for the website Quipster.net. I invite you to check out over 3,800 of my written reviews at that website, Quipster.net, Q-W-I-P-S-T-E-R.net. Today I'm going to be looking at a film. It's the latest one from Shane Black. He's the director as well as the co-screenwriter. Anthony Bagarozzi gets the co-screenwriter credit. The film stars Ryan Gosling and Russell Crowe with supporting roles for Angry Rice, Margaret Qualley, Matt Bomer, Yaya DaCosta, and Kim Basinger. The film's rated R because of violence, sexuality, nudity, language, and brief drug use, and the film runs an hour and 56 minutes. This is Shane Black's third turn as a director. It sees him go back to the style of his debut from 2005 called Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. That one was a comic action mystery that delivered laughs and thrills and two excellent buddy flick performances by Robert Downey Jr. and Val Kilmer. That film is a Los Angeles-based neo-noir homage to pulpy detective mystery thrillers, and The Nice Guys feels more like an L.A.-based homage to other acclaimed neo-noir detective films that have come out since the heyday of the film noir era, most notably 1974's Chinatown and 1997's L.A. Confidential. You know, if you look at the cast here, it's definitely not a coincidence to see Russell Crowe and Kim Basinger reunite for The Nice Guys. You know, given the pedigree of Chinatown and L.A. Confidential, those are not bad films at all to draw inspiration from in the world of neo-noir. Though I do think that when you compare it to the neo-noir that was Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, that film had solid laughs and exciting thrills and terrific comic interplay from its two leads. In The Nice Guys, they are more like occasional chuckles, a lot of noise and violence without a lot of tension, and two passable comic performances from actors who are not particularly known for their comedic chops in Russell Crowe and Ryan Gosling. The Nice Guys is set in 1977. We watch an opening sequence in which a hot young porn star named Misty Mountains ends up getting killed in a tragic car accident. Ryan Gosling plays a widower private dick named Holland March. He's been recently hired to find a woman named Amelia, who many think is dead, and also a dead ringer for Missy Mountains. And there are a few people who claim to have recently seen her alive and well, though that remains the film's central mystery. Holland soon has a run-in with a tough-as-nails thug-for-hire named Jackson Healy. Healy happens to be protecting and then also looking for Amelia. At first, he ends up punishing and then actually needing Holland and hiring the detective himself. It's a pretty shaky pairing, but together, these two men follow clues and they end up thumping on potential witnesses, not always successfully. They peek into the seamy underbelly of Los Angeles with Holland's precocious 13-year-old daughter, Holly, finding herself in the middle of the action more often than not. The further that they dig into the mystery, the more that they stir up trouble for themselves. They end up putting themselves in the path of deadly bad guys and eventually into the chokehold of the local politics around there. Now, despite Shane Black's lifelong love for the city of Los Angeles in pretty much all of his films, it should be noted that The Nice Guys is actually shot in the city of Atlanta in Georgia, and that somewhat diminishes the film's authenticity for those who want to feel within that era of Los Angeles in the 1970s. And that's especially curious because the city's importance to the story is such a vital component Further compounding the authenticity problems are anachronisms within the film, especially when you see the overhead shots of the city. They have that sheen of computerized visual effects tinkering to them 
that definitely makes it not quite seem like Los Angeles in the 1970s. And I do have some nitpicks as far as the timeline goes, although reportedly set in 1977. As an aficionado of funk and soul music, I definitely knew a lot of the songs on the soundtrack were not even around in 1977. For instance, we hear these songs September and Boogie Wonderland by Earth, Wind & Fire, they did not produce those as singles until late 1978 and early 1979, respectively. You know, some people out there might argue that we see Earth, Wind & Fire within the film because they're performing live at a decadent mansion party, so maybe they had these songs before they recorded them, but they may not have released those songs, but they sound exactly like their released singles, so I think that that's a disingenuous supposition. And if you don't believe me on that, the song Boogie Oogie Oogie by A Taste of Honey, that came out in mid-1978, certainly not on the radios in 1977. Rupert Holmes' Escape, the Pina Colada song, did not come out until 1979. And perhaps the worst of all, Get Down On It by Cool the Gang, did not even get released until 1981, so far beyond 1977. So I'm wondering, were people asleep at the wheel when it came to making this film? It's so easy to find really good songs from 1976 and 1977 that could have easily been used for this film. And yet, perhaps they hoped that we just won't care. Hey, it's just a movie, as they say. One of my pet peeves is when people say it's just a movie, as if, you know, you pour millions and millions of dollars into a film that is made by hundreds and hundreds of people, and yet you can't get it right for no apparent reason. And you pay 10 or $15 and two hours of your time in order to have the right to not care seems kind of absurd to me. Shane Black does have a lot of interesting character touches that do amuse on occasion. There's some unexpected plot developments that lead to a few genuine surprises that will keep your expectations of how the film plays off balance. The tone of the movie lets you know that it's all meant to be silly fun, although I do think that the extreme violence does seem at odds with the overall effect of the comedy. Shane Black's attempt for his characters to find a semblance of goodness despite the amoral way in which he spins his yarn makes it start to kind of stall out whenever it seems like it's about to hit its stride. There are attempts here at bumbling slapstick as if there's some kind of old school duo. In one scene, Ryan Gosling evokes the twitchy stammering of Lou Costello. In another, we see Russell Crowe engage in that pretty passe by today's standards device known as the spit take. However, you know, as buddy comedies go, I don't think that the two men play well enough as a team to make you want to see more of this pairing in the future, so it's less than successful on that count. Since they're followed along by Holly, the 13-year-old, who is actually smarter than the two leads, that presumably could make for a very funny third-wheel kind of Nancy Drew type. She ends up becoming the parent in the absence of her mother. Her father is incompetent and alcoholic. And yet, despite her intelligence, we do see the young girl in persistent danger of physical and sometimes even mortal danger. Those scenes leave a bad aftertaste to much of the action that's within the film. Even when her character is not in the middle of a violent confrontation, her personality is very idealized. It feels very unnatural and very scripted. There's an attempt to make Holly the moral conscience of the film because she tries to minimize the amount of killing that Jackson does. But given how artificial her character plays out within the film, this element also plays out as spiritually empty as the rest of the movie. 
The action involves a lot of very loud gunfire and a lot of breaking of glass. It's somewhat reminiscent of buddy cop films from the 1980s, such as 48 Hours and many of the copycats that followed it, including the Shane Black scripted Lethal Weapon. The editing of these action scenes are choppy, sometimes to near incoherence. It doesn't really keep up the snarky zip that we're accustomed to from a Shane Black film over the years. Perhaps if we were invested in these characters, we might find some of these action moments more exciting. And perhaps if the Gosling and Crow combo were much more fun to watch, we could overlook the overlong and ugly violence because we're rooted in these characters. But unfortunately, their characters are not that likable, despite the film's title proclaiming them as the nice guys. They're not really nice guys. They just happen to be not the bad guys. There's kind of an irony, I guess, to the title. It's not That's kind of the level of the humor here. It's a little tongue-in-cheek here and there, but it never really lands a really solid belly laugh that'll keep you chuckling for minutes and minutes on end, the way that Kiss Kiss Bang Bang was able to do on a number of occasions. In at least two scenes in this film, gunfire erupts that ends up presumably killing innocent bystanders. There's nothing really funny or remorseful about such shots. It really ends up kicking up this cloud of nihilism that suffocates this uneven comedy until we end up feeling pretty much nothing at all about any of it. Occasionally, Shane Black stumbles into a witty line or a funny character beat, but those moments come and go like a fleeting breeze on a humid, sticky day. It's enjoyable for the moment it lasts, and then you're back stuck in the mire of it. While I do typically enjoy Shane Black's output quite a bit, I'm a big fan of Shane Black. I think he's really smart, really funny. I didn't care much about The Nice Guys as a film, unfortunately. I do think that when compared to his other works, the laugh quotient is lower. The brutality of the violence is too harsh, perhaps more harsh than it needed to be. And the characters are so cynical, they're neither very interesting to observe on their own. They're not really that fun to see interact with one another. Despite pretty good character actors among the lead and the supporting cast, ostensibly, you know, this is both a parody and an homage to great neo-noir films. And there are a lot of references to TV fare of the 1970s, most notably the Rockford Files and the Waltons and other such things that a lot of people who watch 1970s shows will know about. The nods are smart enough to make fans of those works appreciative of the many attempts. And yet, on their own, they don't enhance the incomprehensible mystery within The Nice Guys to make it something to savor on its own terms. You know, without these little Shane Blackisms, these little moments of these little quips, you know, these bits of slapstick, this film would probably be DOA. You know, Black, as a writer of dialogue, he knows his quips are more clever than most, but the untidy story just is not good enough on its own for us as the viewing audience to be rooted in how it's going to resolve. As they say, nice guys finish last, but in the case of the nice guys, I didn't care where it wound up so long as it eventually finished. I'm giving it two and a half stars out of four. Two and a half stars means that I do think that it had all of the tools, all of the talent here to make for a good winning film, and yet it just wasn't able to coalesce into something truly satisfying. Now, I do realize that this is getting pretty good reviews all around. It's got a 90% fresh rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Obviously, I'm in the minority in being a little bit more critical about the film. This film just is not as good as Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. It's not as good as Lethal Weapon. 
I do think that it is a misfire. I don't think that it really comes together. It's too uneven for me to recommend blindly to people. Two and a half stars for the nice guys. I wish I could be more appreciative and be in the majority, but I have to call it like I see it, as I always do. I try to be truthful in my assessments of films. I do hope you appreciate it, even if you don't always agree. Thanks, everyone, for listening. I do hope that you enjoyed this review, even though I am going against the tide here. I do encourage you, if this is your first time listening, to click the subscribe button and give me a chance on future reviews and let me know what you think. You can go to my website, quipster.net, and let me know what you think of the show so far. That's Q-W-I-P-S-T-E-R.net. Also, if you happen to be on iTunes or someplace else where you want to leave a review, feel free to do so and let other people know that this is a show worth checking out. That's the Quipster Film Review Podcast. Until next time, thanks for listening. I hope that you enjoy your time anytime you get to go to the movies.